This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week are Natalie, Kevin, James and Adam's back from travelling all over New Zealand. He rejoins us. Before we crack on to talk about, guess what? Another couple of defeats away from home. Um, a bit of housekeeping. We've launched a Kickstarter campaign to help funders for the rest of the season. We've had quite a few donations already, so thanks to everyone who has contributed. But we'll stick the link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. If you do want to donate, please feel free. Essentially, um, our costs need to be covered. Costs are basically hosting and our domain name and various other internet stuff. Um, and we also want to do special podcasts, live podcasts, all the information's on the Kickstarter. And you can get that through the show notes. But let's crack on. We're going to start with the Spurs game, which was on Sunday at White Salt Lane. Burnley scored a goal, but still lost going down 2-1 after Spurs came from behind to win that game. Natalie, we'll start with you. Um in some ways our best away performance of the season I felt yeah I completely agree I was really really pleased with the performance I was pleased with the attitude um, they looked really they looked up for it and I think we've we've talked before about a potential mental problem away from home um, and you know a psychological barrier that's getting in the, these players heads and I didn't feel any of that yesterday watching the game I felt that they were very um, they were just very direct and very positive and they looked up for it and so, certain players who we've perhaps criticised before about um, their positive influence on the game Andre Gray is one that springs to mind straight away really looked like they were in the mood for the game um maybe the second half wasn't quite as good as the first half but I was really really pleased at half time I thought they put a really good shift in yeah the start of the game was was really excellent I think it really helped that the first the first couple of minutes we had some time on the ball which it's been sort of 20 minutes in in some away games before we've actually had a chance to settle so we settled into the game quickly there's some really good pressing. The intensity levels were higher than I've seen from us away from home all season. It just really felt like we were, we were in that game for all of it. Um, which I suppose in some ways then, James, makes it more disappointing that we still didn't get anything when we played so well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think we've teamed to play our best games away against sides that we've got less chance of beating. So... You know, if we played like we did yesterday or like we did against Man United, against, say, Stoke or West Ham, then maybe we would have been talking about how we've already got some points on the board away from home. But as it is, we seem to rise to the occasion against bigger sides and ultimately their quality sort of seizes off. Yeah, I think that was an interesting point. We we really took the game to Spurs, which was what impressed me. But you're right, if we'd done that at West Ham instead of... Um, I thought we were playing for a nil-nil at West Ham at times and we'll come to that game next, but... Yeah, it, it seems like we do raise our game for, for the bigger teams and hopefully we're going to be able to do that for the home games that are coming up Middlesbrough and Sunderland at the turf over the next few days, which are obviously going to be absolutely crucial um, games. Kevin, Sean Dash made just one change for the Spurs game. Ashley Barnes came in for Sam Volks and Barnes scored. So justifying his inclusion there, Volks had a quiet spell as we mentioned on the podcast last week and Barnes was very impressive. 
can I start off by saying how bizarre it is to say Dice has made just one change? Which is like... <laughs> yeah. It was more that we were so poor at last time, I was like, expecting more. Yeah, yeah, but he's almost become a bit of a tinker man now, hasn't he? He's been making changes bit, every yeah, game. A little bit. Like, what's going on? Uh, but yeah, I think... I think da- Vokes, we have, Natalie talked a little bit about Vokes last week and how he's, he's maybe um, a little bit been a bit blunt at times, uh, and I think that's the opposite of what Ashley Barnes is. He, he gives you a, he's quite a ferocious player. Uh, in his goal was very much like that. He was very much pouncing on a ball, which maybe some players wouldn't have have the bravery almost to go in for. Um, but you also see the, the downside of that where he, he could very easily have been sent off um, as well. He's, he's 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 got that side of him which is. It, it, it borders on borders on being too far sometimes, but um, obviously on Saturday it was it, it paid off for us. Even though he maybe could have left the pitch, I think both sides actually probably could have had a player sent off. So, uh, but yeah, if you if you make a change for a player to come in and he, he scores a goal, that's obviously a, a very good decision by the manager. And I think he's had a good contribution all season. Barnes, I think obviously he came on and scored a, a fantastic winner against Palace. He almost scored his first touch. Um, in in view of a game a couple of weeks ago, and now he's coming and scored here on his uh, start against Spurs. So he's, he's had a very good contribution, which is fantastic to see because we know that after Sam Volks out sort of out injured for so long a couple of years ago, it took him a long, long time to get back to to scoring goals. But Barnes has seemed to be just—it's like he's not been away almost. Yeah, I think Barnes was crucial to the intensity we played with because he, like you say, he carries the fight and he he plays on the edge and maybe crosses the line a couple of times, but. Yeah, he really gave us a, a platform, I think, for our attacking play in particularly the first 25 minutes before Spurs started to get a bit of a foothold. Um, Adam, welcome back to the podcast, first of all. If you don't know, Adam's been travelling in New Zealand and surviving earthquakes and all sorts of stuff. So, first game of the season for you, what did you make of, of Burnley's performance, having not seen much of us? Yeah, the, well, the first thing to say is I've, I've really sort of struggled to keep up with everything. It's, it's quite hard because you're in a totally different time zone to... Uh, than you used to. Um, so, but also, he was in an earthquake. Yeah, I, I wasn't in an earthquake. Um, <laughs> moving on, uh, we. Uh, I went into the game expecting absolutely nothing. I'd heard from my family and from you guys and on Twitter basically that we were basically abysmal away from home and we we didn't really ever look like. Uh, doing much and that's very much the, the sort of concept that I went into the, the game with um, and I I was very encouraged actually in the end I uh, I was expecting a 4-5-0 defeat um, and then we went ahead and I was like well, what is going on um, which I, I believe is unusual because um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not up to <laughs> scratch on the air um, and, and I thought that we started the game very well. It was very encouraging in the early moments. I did say there was an, uh, I, I would say there is a, a sort of level of um, sort of inevitability about um, the sort of comeback. Like, I felt like they're always going to score, but maybe that's me thinking they're Spurs. They're, they're very well, they're a very good side, and they're very well organised, and and they play very well. They can play very well when they're on on their game. Um, so, in many ways, I was I wasn't really surprised that they came back, um, but uh, in the end, um, I thought it's. From what from what I've heard, it seems like a step forward and a bit of progress. And hopefully, in our next game, I think is which is against City, so that that should be fun. Um, we can take it one more one more step and sort of get some points. Um, but maybe that's asking too much against City, who who are uh, doing very well at the moment. Um, came back against uh, Arsenal last night. Yeah, we, uh, we certainly yeah. seem to be to be getting there. I mean, what what pleased me was the fact that we weren't just sitting in and trying to contain Spurs. Spurs had a lot of attempts on goal and a lot of the balls, you expect that, but there were periods in the game where we were hanging on, but we were also having a real go at the other end, which we've just not really seen that from Burnley away from home in many games this season, I don't think. Um, Natalie Adam touched on expectations and we were talking before the game about how it was going to be 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, so... To only lose by one is is a positive, but also it's a little bit frustrating to get so close to getting a result. Yeah, it is. There's a real... What's the word I'm looking for? There's a struggle, I guess, in trying to analyse where we are this season. And you you look at 
the harsh reality of the results on paper and you think, well, we've got one point out of a possible 21 points away from home this season and that doesn't make very good re- reading, especially as you're, well, as, as we're trying to do everything we can to maintain our league position this year and this be the season that we stay up and don't just go straight back down to the championship again. But as with these things, the, the, you know, the actual story from the day is a little bit more positive. I am hugely encouraged by just the change in attitude um, yesterday. I, I think that's that's the main thing because when you are on the back end of a long string of poor results away from home, it can become psychologically a problem and it can... Um, it can just put another barrier in front of you that the players have to overcome. You know, you don't want to go into games thinking that they're never going to stand a chance of winning this game because we just simply don't win away from home. And I, as I said in my opening comments, I didn't feel that from the from the guys yesterday. I felt that they were. Um, it almost felt like they they didn't they weren't aware of or they hadn't paid any attention to previous results and they were just taking it as a standalone game. Um, I, I'm still disappointed that. Oh, I'm not, oh. Oh, it's really hard because I didn't. I Only when you try and work out anything. what you think. In I know the my, of the brain, <laughs> my brain just wants to do it. I guess for me, the, the main thing, the main frustrating thing about yesterday wasn't that um, we didn't get a result yesterday because we weren't expecting it to. I almost feel frustrated that they managed to pull that performance out of the bag and play so well against a side like um, Spurs, who, if you play your best football on the day and everything goes right for you, you're still probably going to lose if they play their best game as well because they're a better side, they've got better players, they're a well-established team and there's not an awful lot you can do. It's a very imbalanced, unfair league, is this, and it's very unforgiving. My problem with yesterday is that they need to, they needed to have pulled those results out against the teams that they had a chance of beating. Why didn't they play like that the week that you know half a, a week before at West Ham? So I think the the most frustrating thing for me is that they need to be able to pull that performance out of the bag when they are um, away at a team that they have a chance of actually beating. That's all. I think it's I think it's it's harsh to criticise them um, for that, but we've got to really focus on the games that are absolutely crucial to our survival this season and everything else is a bonus. And I'm not entirely sure that's the right way of looking at it, but at the moment it just feels like there is a section of games in the division and we have to, sorry, in the fixture list and we have to really concentrate on those. Yeah, I think James is making a similar point. I think um, it's it's weird because they probably saw Spurs always a bit of a free one and then that takes the pressure off and maybe it's it's more the West Ham game where it's, it feels like a real opportunity and they just seem to play with that restriction on them. I, I don't know, it's a strange one. Um, James, another game where Stephen Defoe wasn't in the, the starting lineup. that's three away games in a row, is it? Where Defoe's been left out. He came on for the last eight minutes. Um, conspiracy theories now starting to abound. People have noticed that uh, Defoe's partner on Twitter has been liking some posts suggesting Defoe should be in the team um, which is 2016 for you I suppose but um, Defoe seems to offer something that our team just doesn't really have that touch of creativity that with Goodmanson injured at the moment I I feel like we're really lacking. Yeah um, he's just he's a cut above the rest of our side really at, at passing both short long medium distance I think he's you know the the little bit of class that um, we lack elsewhere in our midfield. And you'd, you'd think that with the strategy we've employed at home, having worked you know, reasonably well, we'd be looking to play the same way away from home as well. But we seem to just keep going back to this, let's play four four two away from home. Um, and I think it's pretty clear the reason that Defoe's not playing in the four four two is that you know, maybe Dash feels that he doesn't quite have the uh, the fitness there, or you know, can't match the intensity for the for the full ninety. Because I did see that he'd, he'd said with one of the local papers, um, you know, that Defoe was still getting used to the difference in the games, and he was comparing him to Kevin De Bruyne and how he didn't play that much when he was at Chelsea, and obviously he left. One player of the year came back to City, and he's he's been seen to be a key player for them. Um, so I think maybe the, the comparisons to De Bruyne are probably stretching it a little bit. He's, he's not at that level. But Dyche clearly feels that he's got a little bit of adapting to do to, you know, play in the English game. But I, it's difficult because you've got to feel when you play Andre up front, 
you, you need some quality service, quality balls in behind because Gray is looking to get onto the end of balls and if we if we don't get it into you know dangerous areas for him then you know he will end up in positions where he, he takes a heavy touch and he, he runs out of play because he needs to be sort of between the six yard box lines and that needs to be where he gets the ball so he can, he's got a chance to get one on one and you know hopefully score. Yeah, the service for Gray was much better at Spurs than at West Ham. It felt like they'd learned some of the lessons from from what had gone wrong at, um, at West Ham. But yeah, it's definitely work to be done there. We've talked on the podcast before about how DeFore and Gray seems like a a natural partnership, but we still yet to see it. Um, a few people have also pointed out that DeFore played against Liverpool in a four four two and seems to do fine, although he went off early in the second half as always. Um, I think so. It's it, Makes you think that it is a more new thing, but yeah, you know, I don't want to get bogged down in conspiracy theories. Um, we had a question from from a listener on this this subject. Kevin Paul got in touch and said, "Please discuss whether the best team always has to contain the most gifted player," um, which I assume is a is a reference to to Stephen Defoe. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And is it is it a possibility that maybe Defoe's minutes have been restricted recently, keeping him? keeping him a bit fresher for these games against Borough and Sunderland that are so important? Um, I, do you know, I think I think it's purely because Dyche doesn't think he fits into the system that Dyche is playing away from home. I, I don't think I don't think there's anything else to it. I don't it's, think it's, it's exactly the same system as the Liverpool game that we won. It is, yeah. And, and you've got... it's. I, I think Sean Dyche has... has, has I'm not really sure what he what what his what his systems are at the moment, really, because you've got to remember as well, it's not just the Liverpool game. Until... Gray got injured. Dyche was still a very much a four-four-two man, um, and he he signed him purely. You've got to imagine that with the assumption that we'd be playing four-four-two all season. I think losing Andre Gray and the way this, the, the season's gone and the way we performed in different systems. I think I, I think Sean Dyche has changed his mind about. What, how is how exactly his systems are working? How the team's working? That's my assumption. I might be wrong, but I I, I can't see I can't see for me that it's it's about keeping him fresh. And uh, I, I know he's, he's not there's a few fitness problems out there, but I don't think there's been anything really to suggest that it's so bad that he can only play he can only play one game every week or one one game every two weeks. I'm not really sure about that. Um, I think it's an interesting question about whether. You can whether your best team can be the team without the most gifted player in. Um, it, it certainly, it certainly can. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're playing a system and one pity player doesn't work, doesn't fit into it, then yeah, it, it could be the case that you're better off not playing him. But I, I saw one tweet after the game, which I thought was quite quite interesting, was that Sean Dyche talked about Defoe having to still needing to adapt to the Premier League and still having to adapt to the way we we play, but. Should we not be adapting to 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 fit to fit around Defoe? So he's he's by far our most gifted player, and when you've got the likes of Arfield and Boyd in midfield, who I, I mean, with, actually with some credit, Boyd scored the other week. He had a sort of assist um, as well, and, and Arfield's been involved in, in in the goal as well at Spurs. But on, on, as taking the season as a whole, they've been completely anonymous, pretty much, and. When you've got those two in midfield and short and Defoe on the bench, should we not be adapting our system to to fit Defoe in, uh, rather than him having to to adapt to our system? That's that's the way I take it. I mean, you know, you can't put too much of your eggs in one basket around building your system around one player, and if he gets injured or whatever. But surely we should be more doing doing more to fit him into the team. I think. Sure, I, I my my thought is that Sean Dice thinks that. The system we're playing away from home, Duffordis doesn't fit into it. Um, but I think we should be doing more to fit him in. I think I think John Dash's comments about um, Defoe still having to fit into to our system sort of shows that he doesn't really necessarily think he is our best player. Like I know that he, he's great and you, he, he can change a game, but sometimes I think Dash sees things very differently from from the fans. Um, and him saying that he needs to adapt to the system suggests to me that he, he doesn't see him as indispensable. He so this is sort of a a weird question because if he doesn't think he's a, his best player, then the the question doesn't make sense. Um, go on. So I was going to say, I think Sean. I think it almost it potentially comes back to the to, to, to Sean Dyche's 
Um, he very much likes these uh, effective players. I mean, not particularly the most showy players. Things like players who put a lot of big shifts in, like George Boyd. And does it come down to whether um, Defoe might be our best player, but is he our most effective player? That might be the question what uh, Dice is playing around with. I think it's quite an interesting point, actually, that we are debating here. And I'm not sure that there is um, an, an answer to it. And I'm certainly not even sure which side I come come down on, on this. But I find it really interesting that we, we have been having this debate for a long time on the international scale and that there's been so many so much criticism from possibly some of these same players who are making the point about Defoe about where the likes of Rooney or in the past Gerard and Lampard fit into the England side and criticisms of the England managers for trying to shoehorn who is perceived to be the best player um, and having to change the team and perhaps not getting the results that you want just to accommodate one star player and that's the balance that we've got here you know Dutch is is very much looking at, at results and he's making the very brave managerial decision to play the best possible system he can do to get the result there. And then that might mean that his his best player or, or our most creative player does not feature. Now, some of our performances away from home, we have criticised them have been very, very defensive. And, you know, Deitch has probably incorrectly made a decision that he's going to go away from home and try and um, close down for a nil-nil draw or just maybe try and nick something on the break. So in those decisions, he's probably made a conscious effort that he's not going to take his or play his most creative midfielder because he just doesn't need him. Um, so I, it's, it's a really interesting one. Like I say, I, I don't really know... It seems to be a different argument that the same people are making the same argument, depending on which side of, of, of the fence they're sitting on, whether it's an international problem, whether it's a domestic problem. I think the other thing to remember, just bringing off Natalie's point there, is that this is a problem that Daesh hasn't really had to deal with before. We, we, we've traditionally been a very, very much a team unit without one star player that you can pick out. Maybe Joey Barton last season, sort of, you got to see it, and to some extent, Andre Gray. But um, here... I think uh, Defoe is one of the first examples that we've seen of someone coming in with a really like high pedigree, um, and and it's quite interesting to see how Dice has reacted. Um, I, I think he's reacted very bravely. I agree with Nasty. Nasty just said that. Um, so yeah, I don't, like, it's a very interesting debate, um, and it's it's quite interesting also to see how Dice is sort of learning how to deal with this sort of issue. Yeah, I think um, to tie up Defoe, I think is. He's not spoken to the press a lot this season, but one of the things he did say was that uh, he's 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 not really played in teams that have played without the ball so much. Um, I, I think that's probably why he's been struggling to do 90 minutes, because there is so much running um, when you're a Burnley player compared to a lot of other teams. Um, just one last thing on this, James, to wrap up the, the Stephen Defoe thing. It was notable at, West, uh, at Spurs sorry, that fans were singing for Stephen Defoe um, in the first half, even, and certainly before he was introduced, it was almost insubordination against Sean Dyche. And there seems to be a sense that because we're not getting results away from home, people can't really understand why why Defoe's not playing. It, it doesn't seem obviously logical. Could it, uh, yeah, it's, it's easy to see why. Like if, uh... if we'd been playing without him and winning, nobody would talk about it, would they? I think it's that every time you know we we won and I think played really well. You know he's had a great game in the middle and he's he's been pulling strings and making great passes. And I think when you know the team, particularly you know when we came out against Spurs in a more attacking mood, it makes you wonder even more why maybe your you know your best link-up player isn't isn't involved because you know. If we're playing defensive, then it makes sense that maybe you leave Defoe out because he's probably not going to do the pressing work that you know a, a Hendrick or Marnie may do. Um, but when you play more attacking and you know you're looking to to get the ball at people's feet to make quick breaks, then you probably want your best passer on the pitch. So it's easy to see why fans are frustrated. And you know, arguably, I think he should be the, the first name on the team sheet every week. Um, you know, fitness. Could be an issue, but even if he plays for sixty minutes, then I'd say sixty minutes of Defoe is better than you know sixty minutes without him. Um, so it's yeah, it's understandable why fans are sort of singing for him. It's, it seems strange that even when he's not starting, he doesn't seem to be being used from the bench. He was the last sub 
at Spurs got eight minutes. Um, and <laughs> without wanting to go on about subs again, Kevin, it was I think nearly ten minutes after Spurs took the lead that, that Dash made made his first change, and there was a big response when when Defoe came in. It was obvious that. Um, it was a substitution that fans had wanted to see. It seems to be a bit of a, a a big difference in opinion between the fans and Dash over Stephen DeFore at the moment. Definitely, yeah. And I think it's interesting because Sean, he's actually been... Um, it's almost like an unrecognisable Sean Dash this season because I, I mentioned earlier it's been a tinker man. And he's actually been making some quite early early substitutions this season as well, which is... I, I'm actually not sure if it is actually Sean Dash. I think it's someone who's just got a really deep voice and a... And a, and a yeah, a, Dash a, almost a, seems to have gone back to his old ways after uh, the early changes made the difference against Bournemouth. So hopefully we'll see a bit more of that. Um, but wrapping up, I will look back at the Spurs game. We're going to move on and talk about West Ham shortly. But back to Natalie for Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Indeed, we are staying with the Spurs game for Tweet of the Week this week. And we are sticking also with a very festive theme for our pre-Christmas podcast this year. So Paul Robinson tweeted us this week to say that it was a Christmas miracle at White Hart Lane. Burnley have scored away from home. Obviously, we're talking about open play goals here, but indeed it felt very, very much like Santa Claus had brought us a present we all wanted at White Hart Lane yesterday. So well done at that one, our tweet of the week. Yeah, six minutes of utter joy at White Hart Lane yeah. after actually more like one minute of confusion and then five minutes of <laughs> utter joy. Burnley being in say, front briefly at White Hart Lane. There was there was a great there was a great chant as well from the fans where we were all singing um, "How bleep must you be? We're winning away," and that was uh, that was enjoyable. I must say. Yeah, we probably baited Spurs into coming back. Yeah, with, we did make them mad. I've got to say. To but... um, before Spurs, though, there was West Ham, which we should also touch on. It was uh, not the greatest of the performances from Burnley James, but we only lost by one, which was progress in a way compared to some of the away games we've had this season, sort of. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing because obviously we all said last week that if there was a game this season where we'd expect to pick up three points away from home, West Ham has to be the place. And then we went there and I thought, I thought to be fair, both teams were probably pretty poor. It, it wasn't much of a spectacle. Um, and from what I've heard about the, the, you know, the people who were there at the ground, such as yourself, Jamie, um, you, it's a good job it wasn't much of a spectacle because you can't really see it anyway. So um, I think it, yeah, it was a game to match the match the stadium. And you know, at the end of the day, I think we we got a little bit unlucky. Um, you know, with the way they scored. Uh, obviously, Heaton makes a great save, but he uh, he does a a Lee Grant as some people will call it, and sort of parries the penalty just back into the, the danger area uh, rather than round the post. And I think it's a bit of a ridiculous one to be talking about. The keeper should have done better. With a penalty save, but you know when he's got there that well, you expect him to tip it around the Porsche. Really. So it was a little bit disappointing. Obviously, there's questions about whether it was even a you know a penalty because was he and fouled in the build-up to it? Um, you know, could the referee have blown his whistle as soon as he and saved it because he doesn't have to you know, obviously keep adding time on? But you know, at the end of the day, I think it was a bit of a, a, a disappointing goal to to concede and uh, a disappointing game all round. Yeah, I think. Um... It's four games in a row now that Dash has made comments about referees that have been like the headline from his, his post-match comments. and He's starting to sound a bit like a stuck record, but he has got a bit of a point. The penalty at West Ham was maybe a little bit unfortunate, but it's just how it goes sometimes. I think if you're playing for a nil-nil draw, it's always going to be a chance that something goes against you, and that that's what happens. It, it just felt like we got bit of it with that one. Um Natalie, do you think we deserved anything from that game? A lot of people saying that we did deserve something, but some total of our chances really were Volk's header that he maybe should have done better with, and that was about it. Scarfield had a free kick, but we didn't really create all that much again. Uh, 
No, uh, and I mean we've we've got to look at this from the criticism that that we put on other fans as well. How many times have of other fans or even media outlets and other managers criticised Burnley that they've got a result when they've hardly had any possession and things like that? And it, you know it doesn't work both ways. You then can't suddenly say, oh well, we you know we we didn't create much. It's just really, it's a really difficult point to make. At the end of the day, Burnley didn't deserve anything out of that game they created very very little um yeah sam should have put that ball in the back of the net that was a really really bad miss and possibly one that we are going to rue come you know the real business end of the season um you just for me it was just the the the, the performance was just really poor and i just think west ham were there for the taking they, they did us they did what we do to other sides they they managed to get the, the goal and they just shut up shop. And we found it very, very difficult to break them down. And, and you, you've got to do better than that at some of your, um, well, I could say easier games. And there's no really easy game in this division. But West Ham are the one side in this league that don't have a home advantage and are actually very, very inconsistent this season. And it was such a good opportunity to get minimum a point away from home. But the three points were there from the taking. And, you know, you can't, you just can't start whinging and saying, oh, well, we deserved something from the game when you just, you don't do enough to do that. You think the amount that Dice goes on about the fine margins, you'd understand that fine margins work both ways. Like, if if you're complaining about not getting decisions one week, you you might be complaining about getting the decisions the, the next week. Um, but, hey ho, it's the, the life of the Premier League, you have to deal with this, this sort of thing, week in, week out. Yeah, and I, I felt the ref at Spurs was was really disappointing. We don't really talk about the Sissoko challenge, but a lot of people think that was a potential red card. And considering he then made the goal for for Danny Rose, the winning goal about a minute later, um, it seemed a little bit unfair. But again, that's, that's just how football happens. Sometimes things go against you, and you've just got to run with it. There's no point going on and on about it. You've got to affect what you can affect. And I think you've got to go. You've got to look as well. Is that You've also got the potential Barnes being sent off as well in the first half. So it yeah, goes both there's, ways a, as well. there's a, a gif of that that was really, really bad. And also sometimes things look worse in slow motion and stuff. But it looked out of control. But yeah, I, I think at West Ham, again, a lot of people said we, we dominated the second half. But as Natalie said, like West Ham had scored and they just shut up shop. They were obviously playing for, for the clean sheet there and just protecting that. I think if they hadn't scored the penalty at the end of the first half they'd have probably carried on being on top. It was because they were in the lead and then stopped having to attack that meant we had more of the ball. But even though we had all the ball, we still didn't really do anything with it. It seems like expectations have now been reduced to such an, such a low level that one Sam Bolt's header and one free kick apparently now constitutes enough in 45 minutes to earn a draw. And for me, it was, it was still miles away at West Ham. But... Um, much more impressed with us at Spurs and now feeling more confident that we will actually be able to get points away from home, which is going to be crucial, Natalie, because at home we've got these games against Middlesbrough and Sunderland coming up and they're now starting to look like must-win matches. Yeah, they are. And I think I don't think it's particularly controversial to say that if you're going to have such a poor um, return on points away from home then your home games do become must win and, and that's the reality of it. Um, I think if we'd have managed to get three points um, from West Ham or if we'd have managed to get anything out of the Spurs game then it just affords you that luxury of having a slip up at home. Until we start to find some away form we cannot afford those slip ups especially with teams who are in our relegation fight with us. For me it has to be, it cannot be anything less than six out of six th- these two games if we drop any points, we're going to really struggle. If Middlesbrough beat us on Boxing Day, I think that probably puts them about does it put them about five or six points clear of us. And that's a really, really difficult, even at this stage, it's a difficult margin to start trying to claw back. Um, so yeah, it, it, the pressure is on. I think that's the reality of it. Um, and until we start winning away from home, we're going to have to deal with that. I think I think coming into these two games, I think actually, in a in a, in a strange way, the performance against Spurs could be really could be really important. Um, you know, and it, it's easy to say that it, it's all well all well and good playing well, um, but not winning. But I think we're playing very well at home, and we've got that momentum at home. And obviously, the away form is so different, but it, it, that can only last so long. I think if you if you if we continue to lose and lose, and not just lose, but lose. 
kind of embarrassingly and, and not play well, not from performances. We, we're having really coming away from away games feeling really down. If that continues to go on and on, and you've got to remember as well, players are going to be sat on a coach for hours as well, uh, or a, however we get back um, in pretty bad down bad spirits. Eventually, that is going to start to impact the, your home form as well. It's, it's going to impact. You know, the, not just the, the way, way you're playing away from home, but it's going to impact the, the morale in the camp and the whole feeling and not, you know, the fans as well. So I think we said this as well when we played, um, got that fantastic point at United that as well as getting a good point, it could it could also just lift the spirits a little bit. And if we continue to get beat 3 or 4 nil, what we were doing every week, that would really start to bring us down. So I think, although <laughs> you'd like to, Get start getting more points away from home. It, it's at least it's it's a good that we've at least got an encouraging a, a performance away from home, and hopefully they'll they'll come away from that game feeling more high spirits than they did after the um, after the West Ham game, and certainly better than if we if we got beat four nil um, going into these two crucial home games. That could have been um, that could have been really disruptive to us. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? The form the form doesn't look good at the moment. We've lost five out of the last six. I think, which has seen us slip down the league a bit. We're now 16th, only three points clear of the drop zone, three points clear of Sunderland, who obviously we play on New Year's Eve, so there is a, a chance that we could be in the bottom three um, for the turn of the year if things go against us in these next two games. But performance hasn't been that bad. West Ham was OK in parts. Spurs was pretty good. And then we won our last home game, so... I'm not panicked at the moment. We're coming up towards the halfway stage of the season, and I still feel like we're going... Um, quite well. James, these home games coming up then, Middlesbrough on Boxing Day up first. Dash seems fairly wedded to the 4-5-1 at home now, um, but with, with Volks having been left out for, for Spurs, he's played the one up front. Do you think it might be Barnes up front? What do you think What do you think he's going to be thinking? And Of course, there's no Matt Lawson for this game either, um, so he's going to have to make a decision at right back because John Flanagan's not been particularly impressive yet. Yeah, I think it's going to be really difficult to to decide how to play. To be honest, because yeah, you know, four five one has been the the go to formation at home, but um, you know, I feel like maybe Gray and Barnes look a little bit sharp at the moment than Volks. Um, so you know, you could potentially be a Barnes up front, or you know, I've got to say it's highly unlikely he will ever do this, but you could go away from Arfield and and Boyd playing wide, and maybe you play. You know, one of the strikers wide, and you know, maybe try that. I think Barnes could probably play out wide, or you know, even Gray could. I don't know we've not played in there before, but you know, strikers who uh, who tend to play the sort of game he does are sometimes pretty decent coming in from wide. Um, but I think you've you've sort of mentioned the the most difficult selection choice there is what to do at right back because you know, obviously, Fanning got a chance at, against Stoke at right back and. I think it's it's maybe the worst right back performance I've seen in the Burnley show in, in some time, to be honest. And you know, early in the season, I was thinking he was, uh, you know, obviously really good backup and could probably even push to be in the starting eleven regularly. But I think what we've seen of him so far has been really disappointing. He's sort of been a, a shadow of the player who you know was in that Liverpool side that nearly won the league. Um, so for Lawton to be missing on Boxing Day. And, what could arguably be one of the most important games of our season, I think. Um, it's a big loss. And I saw someone on Twitter saying that that's, that's the best gift for their Christmas. And I thought, God, if you, you know, if watching Flanagan flounder at right back's going to make you happy, then uh, something's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been quite critical of Orton uh, for most of the season, but I think he has booked up since the game he was dropped. He was pretty good in. Both the away games this week, although it was a, a really stupid booking, I've got to say, um, knowing that he was on forward to get booked when we'd already lost the game, um, which means that he's going to roll out be ruled out for the Borough game. It just seemed a bit unnecessary um, for me. Another option in there, Tarkovsky could play right back. It looked like um, he was going to come on at half-time at Spurs when I think Dean Marnie was struggling. Dash's obviously a big fan of Tarkovsky. He tried him there yeah. at the end of the Stoke game, so he's got options in there. The only thing about Tarkovsky is I was worried a little bit about his pace if he's going to play right back. Because, you know, that was the weird thing at Stoke. We'd seen Flanagan sort of get teared apart on game. And then you replace him with a, a player who's, who's got less pace. And since Flanagan was getting, you know, roundly beaten for pace, you would have thought it'd be even worse for Tarkovsky. 
I, I think that he may actually go for Tarkovsky after that that final performance. I think that sort of really knocked him down the pecking order. And, um, the utility man is maybe more likely to get the start. Yeah, I, I feel for for Flanagan because it, it must be really difficult when you're in and out of the team, and obviously he's not played a lot of football for the last couple of years. And but I've, I've been disappointed. I thought he was going to be a really good signing. It's just not. It's not happened at all. He's really <laughs> poor against Stoke. But I feel like he's done well at left back when he's had to fill in for Stephen Ward or reasonably well anyway. So it's it's another opportunity for Flanagan. I think he's the obvious selection, but it would be quite telling. It would be telling if he went for something else. You, know, you always hear that he's, he's supposedly a natural right back, but I think that you know he's been night and day the, the difference between the two, and I think he's still a little bit unsettled at left back. He's not not quite back up to speed, which is understandable given his lack of football. Um, but to say he's a you know a natural right back, I've, I've seen no evidence of that really frozen. And that includes against Accrington Stanley, where really he should have been you know putting in a dominant performance. Yeah, everyone was rubbish in the Stanley game, so I'll give him a bit of a pass on they that. They were, but I mean, obviously he was fighting for a place, whereas a couple of the other people in that, that side, you know, were uh, probably not as likely to... Yeah, didn't to... Lucas Youngford play Accrington Stanley? We'll <laughs> leave that one there. Um, Kevin, we talked about Defoe quite a bit on the podcast already, but is he going to come back in for the Middlesbrough game and he's going to be back to four five one with Defoe in midfield? Uh, yeah, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. I think I think he's he's almost as certain to come in um, at home. I think that that seems to be the pattern Dice is playing with. And if we, yeah, for me, it's, it's got to be it's got to be another four five one at home um, with Defoe in the middle, and that's what we hope and expect to see. I think um, it'd be, it will. Be, I think that right back decision is going to be really interesting because, yeah, Flanagan and. I, I, I'm not even. I think he's had a couple of decent performances. He's come on as a sub, but every game he's started, I think he's been really poor. I think even against Palace, um, I was, I had, I think I was in row three um, right at the end. So in the in the second half, I think I was literally right right in, right in front of him, and I thought he was he was really poor. Um, um, going forward, he, he showed a bit of intensity. It was decent going forward, but every time they attacked down that side, I was I was terrified. And um, it's going to be really, really interesting because if he doesn't get the shout, if Tarkovsky comes in and starts ahead of, ahead of him at right back, that's going to be really interesting um, for, for, for Flanagan. Like you've, asked, you've got to suggest that's probably the the end of any chance of him having an impact for us and he'll be going back to Liverpool um, with, with very little more football under his belt. So that's been a really, really big call from Dyche. Yeah, I mean, there's other options as well. I've I've been floating this idea of a four-three-three for a while. Maybe not the ideal chance to to do it, but we would have scope to play Barnes, Gray, and Volks all up front together with three behind them in midfield, which would probably be Marnie, Hendrick, um, under four. But I think we're probably asking a lot for Dash to use a third different system. Um, a few people have also suggested three at the back if you want to play Tarkovsky. You might as well play three centre backs rather than try and fill him in. At right back, but I'm not sure we've got the wing backs to do that. You'd maybe ask Arfield and Boyd to do the job, and I'm not um, massively enthused by the the suggestion of Arfield and Boyd at, at wing back either. Um, Natalie can't really stress the importance of, of these games. Two teams around us in the league, and it it, set, it feels like these are going to be a pivotal couple of games in our season if we can get through them. With a couple of wins, then it's going to look really positive. And if we don't get the points we need, people are going to start worrying quite a lot. Yeah, you're completely right. It's a really, really um, tough spell that we're going to go through. Um, I'm not particularly worried about the Sunderland game. I think they are. I think we'll we'll be um, too strong for them at turf, and I think we'll we'll beat them. I am a little bit worried about Middlesbrough, um, not just because when they are on their best form they are a very very good side and, and obviously we saw that at the weekend but Burnley Middlesbrough isn't really it, it's it's we only played them last season and we were in the promotion battle with them last season so they won't see coming to turf more as an away game in the Premier League if that makes sense it's it's very familiar and it's teams that they know well and, and both sides have, have largely kept their um their teams intact in so I think that will be uh, just a repeat an extension of what we saw last season and and I think unless we we get a handle on that game pretty quickly that could be um that could be a really tough tough game i mean it, it, it shouldn't do on the basis that 
you know, we were a better side than them last season. You know, the, it was very, very close, but we did win the league, so we've got nothing to fear. And it was very, very close game the last time we met at, at Turf Moor, but that's the one out of the two that I'm worried about. If we, I said it earlier on, if we get less than six points, then um, I'm going to be quite concerned. Um, it will also, as well, what we need to think about how we perform these two games take us right into the January transfer window as well. We win both of these games and, and manage to get ourselves sitting comfortably outside of the relegation zone. It just puts a different perspective on the side and what Dyke wants to do and our chances of staying up. And that in turn makes conversations with potential incoming players a lot more comfortable than if we lose both of those games, we end up finding ourselves in the relegation zone and there's an, a slight air of doom and gloom. I think I'm not, I'm not saying that, that it always is the case, but I do feel that um, we sometimes struggle in the transfer market because of our position in the market and our chances of staying up. So um, it's not just for survival. It's, it's for the whole tactics and the whole um, plans for the rest of the season. It's really, really, really important. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really big week. I think um, four points might not be a disaster depending on on what happens in which game, but I think six would be would be really, really useful to come out of these and that would leave us a nice cushion above the relegation zone. Um I think we're gonna try and fit in a podcast before the Sunderland game after the Middlesbrough game. It might just depend on schedules obviously it's gonna be that weird period between Christmas and New Year, but we will round off with predictions. After I do another plug for the Kickstarter before I forget, um we do have a Kickstarter running for the next three or four weeks. I think we're raising money to enable us to continue the podcast and revamp the website and do a special episode and hopefully a live event. We've already raised quite a bit of money, but please don't let that put you off if you want to support us. Uh, we've got rewards from as little as £3.00. Um, and they go all the way up to £200 if you're feeling rich and want to sponsor the podcast that would run until the end of the season. We'll put the link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. But we'll round off with predictions. Adam, will come to you first, even though you've not seen much of Burnley at all this season. Give us some predictions for Middlesbrough at home and Sunderland at home. 2-0 and 3-1. <laughs> I like that. Nice and concise. None of this explaining what predictions mean. Two home wins. Excellent. Kevin, you're next. Um, I'm going to go for a, a, a win against Middlesbrough. It's going to be 2-0. Hopefully it won't be quite as dramatic as the um, as the draw we got against them um, last season. Hopefully it'll be, 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 be a bit more comfortable. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for a 2-0 a, a two two win against Borough um, and mm, a 1-0 win. I think some of them might be really tight. I'm a bit worried about that one, but fairly confident that we can beat Middlesbrough. They seem to have a pretty poor record there. A lot of their fans not particularly confident about this one. James, what are your predictions for these two matches? Uh, I think, you know, on the face of it, obviously these should be two games that you'd fancy to win at home, but I think actually it's, they're both going to be, you know, pretty tough. And I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet between the two of them. So I think we'll, uh, I think we'll see Middlesbrough off uh, 2-1. But I think we'll uh, we'll slip up against Sunderland and we'll, we'll just draw 1-1. These games always seem to be tight with uh, teams playing each other around uh, the bottom. Middlesbrough are going quite well at the moment, actually. They've just moved above us in the table with a couple of wins. Um, Natalie, predictions from you? I am going to go turnstile 28 for both games. And Stop I am going telling to people go... your turnstile! <laughs> And I am going to go with a 3-1 win at home to Middlesbrough. Um, I agree. I don't think we're going to keep a clean sheet in that game. But I am going for an out-and-out 4-0 win um, at home to Sunderland. So there you go. Andre Greer, half-trick. Uh, that's not my deal. I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> that's but that's Birdie's Thunder. He can have that. I'm I don't kidding. care who. I don't care. I don't care if Heaton scores off or any of them will do. <laughs> I said t- I said two one and one one, didn't I? So over a two game spell, a two game hat trick. It's gonna be an Andre Gray hat trick. Yeah, but just over two games. I don't think that's really a thing. But yeah, <laughs> Andre Gray goals coming up. Um, that's it for this week's podcast. Like I said, we'll try and squeeze one in. 
between Christmas and New Year, if we can uh, work it out with schedules and stuff. The link to the Kickstarter is in the show notes. Thank you to Rick, who provides our artwork, excellent as ever, for this week's. And you can see that on the website and through social media. You can always get in contact with us with any questions or feedback or comments about the Kickstarter or the podcast in general. We will always read uh, your comments. Email address is podcast at nonanever.net. You can also tweet us at nonanever.net. But that's it for this week's podcast. Thanks to James, Kevin, Adam and Natalie who've been joining me. I've been Jamie Smith. This has been the Nona Never podcast. Goodbye. If they'd have pulled that performance out that they did yesterday... Deja vu here, Anna. Sorry? What? Sorry, it was just a joke. That's exactly what I said about 15 minutes ago. Oh, okay. And now I've lost my train of thought. Um, I'm going to have to just say something so we can edit it. And Paul Robinson tweeted us to say that it was a Christmas miracle. What did you say on the bench, Paul Robinson. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> 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 I did for a long time. You Shut up! Finally, he stopped a few games earlier this season. That was great. I enjoyed that. Who's laughing that? It's Kevin. I'm laughing more at that now. That's a joke for Smith's laugh. You can remix your own laugh, Kev. I can't even deal with any of you this evening, especially not him. Right, shut up and let me do that again. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.